the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 155, recorded Friday, August 8th, 2014. Two turntables and a microphone. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albert. I'm your host. Good afternoon, good evening, good night, whenever you're listening and or watching this. If you're watching live, it's afternoon in most parts of the continental United States. Uh, with us this afternoon, uh, a longtime friend, haven't seen him for a while. He missed Infocom, sadly, uh, but his name is Adrian Boyd uh, from Avitecture yeah, with the world's Infocom. longest Twitter. How are you, sir? He's good. Apparently, the the government is is monitoring us, so he's he's a Be little back. Yeah. Uh, also with us for our first time, uh, his name is Paul Zeal. He's from on, AMX. Frames again. Uh, his name is Paul Zeal. He's from AMX uh, Network uh, and uh, VTC expert. How are you, Paul? I'm good. Nice to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I should fly you over to uh, to have a texture and have you take a look at uh, at Adrian's setup and yeah, <laughs> see if. Oh. You- I'm going to be in Washington next week. Well, so. there you go. It's everybody else but me. Everybody else, yes, everybody else but you. Uh, all right, this week we're going to we'll tackle a couple of different things. Um, Google, actually. Uh, Crestron has a, a, well, they have an interesting product name. Uh, none of us on this panel know what it is, uh, but we'll talk about that. Uh, also, Digico has picked up um, another uh, board manufacturer. But first and foremost... Uh, from our friend uh, Ted Green over at Strategy.com, Nortec drops $46.2 million. And a gentleman by the name of Sean Burke is out as the head of the Technology Solutions Group. I, the, the article goes actually goes on to say that Nortec in general is fine. They, they posted a 13.9% uh, in, increase. Uh, to 17, uh, sorry, to 718 million dollars, up from 630 uh, in 2013. However, in something that's kind of interesting, the fact that they broke out the AV division uh, earnings, I guess is the best way to put this, and said, "Oh yeah, by the way, this group over here not as profitable as the rest of us." And then Mr. Burke goes on, according to the press release, to pursue uh, other interests. Um, which in the world of press releases, nine times out of ten means that he has been asked to tender his resignation to go seek employment elsewhere. I don't know that that's what happened, but good Lord, that's usually you know what that wording means. Uh, so, Paul, let me ask you this. You mean, you've, been, you've been around AV a long time. You've watched this, this Nortec group kind of take, uh, take shape over the last few years. What's your take on, on the fact that, first of all, Nortec n- needed to say, hey, by the way, this group is not as profitable and also the, the exit of Mr. Burke. Well, a lot of this sounds to me in a, in a public company, and um, it's actually very interesting because for the last six weeks or so, I've belonged to a public company again. And um, you can pick up an awful lot about the company you work for from the SEC 10K filings. Yeah. And uh, that, that's not necessarily there. And my guess on why they broke it out is there, there's a possibility that they say that that's not the core product set for us. And um, in breaking it out, they're showing that that's where their weaknesses are. And if they're looking to spin it off into something else, hopefully the shareholders will say, oh, they got rid of that dead weight and, and work on the, the stock. So I'm, I'm curious if it's an interest, if it's interesting that they're going to break some things off. Because there's some some odd mixes in there. They've got they've got TV One, who used to be a consumer-based um, home-type system, but they've really tried to grow more into the commercial space and doesn't yeah. fit in with the rest of the Kramer, or I'm sorry, the Geffen and 
and Furman and some of those other pieces. So it might be interesting to see if they're going to try to reorganize that, either realign or get out of the AV business. It's very difficult for a company that doesn't concentrate on AV to uh, to, to play in this market. Do you think, uh, you, you mentioned possibly reorganizing, do you think it's something where they would take the entire AV group uh, and say, you know, Mr. Investor, Mrs. Investor, Mrs., you know, uh, fund manager, take this entire group? Or do you think maybe that they'll they'll piecemeal it off one, uh, one piece at a time? Maybe there's one or two divisions or one or two uh, sub-companies that aren't doing so hot, and maybe, you know, there's one or two shining stars that are doing just fine. There's one or two pieces I would like to buy. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I actually, I don't get a say. So. I, <laughs> so I will mention that, that Paul is a part of a publicly held company. <laughs> Should well, and, and and mention even more that Paul gets no say say in what that publicly held company does. <laughs> and, and I don't either. I don't own Harmon, although that wouldn't be a bad investment. Nortech right now may not be, but I'm not. If I could backdate it a year, they're up like a hundred percent over the last year. Good night. The, their stock has just been screaming. Shoot. Did you guys work uh, out? You guys never. I shouldn't ask you that. Never mind. But, I'm not going to ask about stock options and stuff. You know. Well, we haven't. We're still in the merging stage. We're told that things are supposed to be complete by October 31st. Okay. But other than people calling and asking for technical favors, I really haven't uh, gotten much information on Harmon. No, yeah. I, I have I have a Harmon friend anyway. Yeah, Bradford Ben gets me all the. <laughs> yeah. he got me a pair oh, of head, he got me a pair of headphones once. That's what he got me. So he he gets to make decisions. We did get invited to the. Amazing Harmon um, employee-only yard sale. Really? All our, How was that? Getting all our consumer AV gear at about seventy to ninety-five percent off. And and so when when will AMX be part of that yard sale? Oh, we I don't know when we'll be part of the yard sale, but uh, I loaded up on Harmon and JBL. Very nice, <laughs> very nice. Uh, all right, uh, Adrian. Before we get Paul fired, uh, <laughs> what, what do you think of of Nordtech? Uh, you know, singling out the AV division and, and Mr. Burke being, being shown the door, as it were. Well, when we look at Nortec, uh, they're kind of, I think they're, they're, they're seeing some of the reaction that uh, the industry has kind of seen uh, in terms of residential. It's been a little slower. It's starting to pick up. But they have a lot of... Um, uh, manufacturers that are complementary to each other that there's a lot of overlap in what they do you know you've got Geffen and TV one they have some products that compete with each other um, magenta which is the TV one you know so it, uh, when I look at a lot of what they do um, I think they there's probably going to be some uh, merging uh, of some of these companies or at least eliminating um, some of the companies that May don't fit that their their core over time, and and you know they're also one of the biggest uh, you know HVAC companies in in terms of what they've got, yeah, and and um, ventilation. It's, it's like a it's a big hodgepodge of all sorts of different technologies, but there's a lot of overlap in a lot of things they do. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Adrian, you might want to restart something. <laughs> so, you know, shut down. You know, I don't know. Shut down your your I'm uh, drop out and come your your AOL Instant Messenger, um, and uh, and restart. <laughs> so, uh, at, while he does that, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk with Paul uh, about another company and uh, making headlines this week. And the fact that's the fact that Digico. Uh, okay, so Digico and Allen and Heath and Calrec, Calrec rather. Um, they're forming a, a new pro audio group, according to this piece from Sound of Communications. The way that the story was first told to me, though, was that it was Digico buying Allen and Heath um, to form this new company. Now, it, it depends on how you read the press release or how you read the piece. Regardless, the same company that owns Digico now owns Allen and Heath. And uh, it's interesting to me the fact that over the last few years, a number of significant um, audio console companies have combined forces. The most striking one uh, to me is still the fact 
that Midas um, is now owned by Behringer. Nothing against Behringer. Behringer is a uh, a um, economy brand uh, um, board manufacturer and, and, and console manufacturer, audio manufacturer, and Midas is more on the other extreme. Um, so all of these different companies kind of consolidating efforts. Paul, do you think this is more indicative of kind of a still a backlash of, of the economy and, and where we've been? Or is it just, you know, this has just been a good time for, for companies to kind of combine sources. Uh, the press release does mention the fact that, that both groups have an awful lot of really good engineers. And so maybe that's what they're thinking. Get all these smart people in, in together in one, uh, in one location and it's make some really, really good kick butt, uh, kick butt consoles. Well, that's, uh, that's a big plus that goes on this. There's a, there's a lot of duplication that can go into consoles. And, and quite frankly, compared to Digico and CalRep, Allen and Heath is a budget console. No, that's true. That's true. No, so, that's, an, that's a valid point. I mean, Allen and Heath moves all the way down into the consumer and DJ and, and, and peaks out at the top just about where Digico and CalRec would pick up Digico and the, the live and CalRec in the studio. Yeah. So, so when you look at the, the three product sets, they have almost no overlap. Um, Digico is, is big live and event. CalRec is big, expensive recording studios, and Allen and Heath is from two turntables and a microphone up through <laughs> nice um, up, up through a nice um, club or a regional type console, um, but they're not going to be um, mistaken for a, a Midas or a CalRec at any at any point. Yeah. But still, all consoles have manufacturing. They've all got power supplies. They've all got preamps. So, so there can be a lot of uh, economies of scale there. And in this case, there's almost nothing parasitic where anybody would have to drop something from their product line to avoid du duplication. So, so it looks like a, a, a good fit to me. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Adrian, from your standpoint, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about this whole? You look at it as a marriage, or you're looking at it as a as a buyout. Uh, I mentioned the fact that it, you know some people have said to me when the, when I first heard about this, it was the fact that it was put to me like Digico was buying Allen and Heath, and, and this this press release on Sound of Communications makes it sound more like a like a merger. Regardless, what do you make of the of the fact that now Digico and Calrec and and Allen and Heath are all being manufactured by the same people? Um, I, I think it's just more more of the um, uh, consolidation of our industry. Uh, manufacturers are looking for uh, other partners that can bring either something complementary to what they already have got, uh, or looking at new verticals. And and Paul's kind of right. You know, um, when we look at Calrac and, and and Digico, they don't play in the same space that Allen Heath does by and large. And Allen Heath doesn't really play in their stuff. I mean. Uh, uh, I've done uh, seen a lot of CalRac going in in broadcast and and, yeah. and and those environments where Allen and Heath is really popular in in you know portable DJ systems and houses of worship and so I, I think it's I mean it's just more of that consolidation of technology that our industry has. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, uh, let's talk about Apple for a second, and uh, I guess uh, you don't have to full disclosure here, but but I have an Apple TV. I love it. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of Apple products, but I do have an iPad, and then this is uh, one of the main devices that my children watch Netflix on. Uh, according to a study from uh, onstreamingmedia.com, it says that Apple TV market shares have fallen by 11 points. Uh, this is on the, on the heels of a number of different set-top boxes, not le least of which uh, I shouldn't call the, the, the Google uh, Chrome uh, little HDMI thing uh, a... Uh, uh, well, it's not a set-top box, but it's a you know it's a streaming device. And then you have the Roku, and you have the Boxy, and you have a number of other devices. But the fact that it's losing market share, uh, Adrian, where are we going with this when it comes to you know Apple and the Apple TV and just streaming boxes in general? Is is it the fact that the fact that they're losing market share more, the fact that they're having more competition, or are people you know shying away from having one dedicated device? And relying more and more on the uh, embedded apps in all these smart device in these smart displays. Oh, I think it's the latter. Uh, okay. It's when you when you look at uh, 
the penetration of smartphones and tablets uh, in the market. Um, what's easier, you know, I can watch, say, Netflix on my phone, on, on my iPad, my Android device, and it goes wherever I go as long as I have reliable Wi-Fi or, or, or some sort of reliable data plan. Uh, I don't think Apple TV is going away. I, I do think that um, there is there is some pressure from a lot of the other streaming devices because they give a little bit more options in Apple's closed ecosystem. Uh, I think that if Apple, we're starting to see at least in some of their other areas that they're starting to open up a little bit and add more things. I think if they do that with the Apple TV, you know, and allow things like Amazon Prime and and other streaming services to coexist in their environment, they'll probably pick right up again. Because um, it is a reliable box when it mm -hmm. comes to streaming. And uh, if you are set up your iPad properly, you can basically send content from your iPad straight to the Apple TV. And, and we do a lot of that in our household because, uh, you know, I've got uh, every flavor except for the Chromecast of streaming box and sometimes it's more convenient to just go and, and bring up my app and send it straight to the Apple TV instead of going over to Western Digital or bringing up the Roku. Do you think you, you mentioned the the uh, Amazon Prime and the reason I'm, I'm bringing it up because that's one of the devices or one of the, the services that we have. Yep. Do you think that they ever will? Uh, because Apple in the past has not played well with others that they uh, that they deem to be in direct competition with them. Yeah, uh, I think Apple's probably going to start looking at different strategies to make money. I mean, we've you saw kind of some of that when uh, they saw the writing on the wall in terms of, of music streaming services gaining more popularity with the Spotify's and the Pandoras, and with their they bought they didn't buy Beats just for headphones. They bought Beats for their streaming library, and you know they they make that coexist probably with their their iTunes Radio. Um, I think Apple, in terms of uh, if they really want to keep being the market leader or the, as they have been, they're going to have to start letting other people play in their sandbox a little more succinctly. I, I think one of those things that is going to allow that to happen, um, as sad as it is uh, that Mr. Jobs passed away three years ago, the fact that Steve Jobs is no longer there, right? Um, you know, that was probably one of the biggest uh, biggest sticking points to letting people play uh, play well in, in their sandbox. Well, he he had a singular vision in terms of how he wanted things to work. Yeah, and that got them to certain positions uh, when they started the company in, in the early '80s, in the mid '80s, and then he left. Apple floundered. Um, when he came back, we saw Apple revitalize itself and change. They 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 did change how we interact with our technology in, in, in a very short amount of time. Uh, well, it, I think we still, the jury's still out on whether Apple can still keep that momentum going. Yeah. Uh, all right, Paul, where do you, you, you sent me a very nice article. We'll put it on the, on the links as well. The fact that the Apple TV, uh, the beta version, um, the upgrade is, looks very nice. It's, they got a new yeah. interface. Uh, but where do you think that they're going? And, and the fact that the fact that they're losing market share, is it, is it, like Adrian said, the, the all these smart devices, or is it something uh, with the with the set top boxes and the other streaming devices? Well, to start with, um, heaven forbid, I I worry, but I think that a uh, online magazine would do anything to create a good headline. <laughs> but but as they as they lead with it, their market share has plummeted eleven points. Down hidden in the next paragraph is that their their year over year growth rate in Apple TV has slowed to a mere twelve percent a year. Yes, I mean companies would kill for that kind of growth rate along it, as well as with market share. Apple TV sits right about the the top of of the pyramid for costs within these. The Roku three is probably about the same street price as the uh, Apple TV, but if you're if you're breaking up market share with Roku, where does Roku sell the $95 devices versus the the $30 devices that they have? And as far as market share, where where things go? And I'm I'm not an Apple fanboy by any means, and and I do have a uh, Google Play that was handed to me 
as a demo, and um, I hate having to uh, fire up a, a touch screen to uh, to go onto Netflix on my iPad or on my Android tablet to be able to play something on the TV, yeah. as opposed to at least Apple TV has a remote control and you ha have some pieces between it, but the Roku is a very simple device with a remote control and, and works just like the cable box that, that people have. And um, I'm wondering if some of it is that we're past the early adopters and the people who are picking up these devices now are either picking up, you know, one for, like I do, where I stuck the uh, Google in my bedroom. Yeah. Um, or so they're picking up a lower cost second device, or they're people who don't have big needs. And and I'm not a guy for streaming. I do Netflix, Pandora, maybe YouTube if I have to watch something long. But I'm not I'm not a unplugged guy. Um, I watch more streaming because I have IPTV distribution in my house on that side, which also doesn't work. Of course out. you do. <laughs> well, yeah. Doesn't everybody? Well, you know. <laughs> sure, I, kind of. I, I'm I, I'm a humble design consultant and independent yeah. programmer, so you know I don't I don't work for a public company. Uh, <laughs> it's it. Let me tell you, when I buy AMX gear for for myself, I buy it on eBay. Really? Oh yeah. If you watch the sales, it's uh, you can get incredible deals. You can't really use it for you know professional integration, but it, it works fine, and if something doesn't work, I can probably walk upstairs and find somebody who can fix it. Well, you you do have that option. <laughs> again, again, Adrian, I do not have that that option. Warranty? What warranty? Yeah, what warranty? Huh? What? Yeah. Paul, where'd you get this? We sold. Yeah. Does this say Panjo in the back? Good lord! <laughs> All right, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to weed out the Panjo stuff. Well, thank you. I the, the entire AV community thanks you, and I'm sure everybody down there in Texas does as well. So, especially my buddy Sean Robinson. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Oh, let's. is not a real good word around here. I'll bet not. <laughs> good Lord. I, I was, who was it? Uh, Don Me told me once when the, when that first came out, somebody Googled it, and um, let's just say that you shouldn't Google it and then misspell it. Um, oh yes. Very yeah, very yes. not That's safe story. for work things will happen on your yeah. computer. That, just... that got emailed around the AV industry really quickly. Oh, my, yeah, yeah. All right, um, real quickly, and, and I, I told Paul this off the air, and I'll apologize to him uh, here officially live. Uh, had a couple stories this week about, about AMX's competitor. He's like, ah, let's, let's go for it. So uh, we'll at least hit one of them. A story came out of our buddies over at CE Pro, and God love them. Yeah, they, they, they worked their butts off. Uh, you know, trying to, to uncover you know, stories and stuff like that. Here's the most interesting one that came out this week. Ping, P-Y-N-G. Uh, and it's an, apparently a new product from Crestron. I say apparently because um, according to the story by CE Pro, Crestron has applied for some patents, and um, they've been awarded a couple patents and there's been a couple up, up, updates to the story. We'll go, go through it here real quickly, but nobody really has been able to say what ping is. Now, a side note to this is the fact that ping was actually picked as, as one of, uh, the Cedia, um, new products and CE pro kind of elaborate on that. The people who judge it, uh, sign NDAs, which is non-disclosure agreements. Um, so they, there are a handful of people in the industry who do know what this is outside of Jersey, right? Uh, none of the three of them are here on, on this call. So I'm going to put it to you guys, and, 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 and Paul, uh, uh, I'll, I'll defer to you last. We'll have, we'll have Adrian here first uh, as, as an integrator. What do you think uh, Ping is, I guess, based on the information and solely on the information that, that CE Pro has provided uh, up to this point? Um. Yeah, I think it's it, it's it sounds like it's probably some sort of, of connected device that tracks you in a room and you put your you know, your user settings on it and your touch panel's configured the way you want it when you walk into the bedroom or something to that effect. But I, I kinda take uh umbrage to the whole 
thing that's been nominated for an award and nobody knows what it is and it's like it's it, it's a, it's just there for the sake it's, it's a restaurant give them an award oh jeez uh, <laughs> nobody would ever do that no no um it, it's almost like you know uh, Crestron's becoming the apple of our industry. You know when something something new and exclusive is happening, it's it's hey hey I got a Crestron scoop for you. Guess what they're doing? But well, well ever I, since I'll, I'll the invented 4K, what's that? <laughs> ever <laughs> since they invented 4K, it's been like that. Yeah yeah yeah. And we're going to certify everything too. So they no hey they, they didn't. They, <laughs> Did, they didn't invent 4K, did they? I, it's not what their marketing materials sound well, like. Don't always. And just remember, it's not really 4K because we're dropping bits in the color space and doing other funky things. Well, and there's several flavors, and it, but but it's certified. <laughs> I'm going to be getting that phone call from very angry restaurant people in a few minutes. Oh, you know. and me both. Uh, <laughs> So, okay, so yeah, let's 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 talk about 4K for a second. Um, there there was another story that we were we weren't you know, there, there's a, a device out there now. Give me a second, I'll bring it up. Um, it, it is a certified 4K uh, display. Okay, um, and I'm I'm kind of tap dancing here because I've lost the stinking story. Um, yeah, silicon silicon core. Uh, is now claiming that they are 4K certified by Crestron. Interesting. Uh, it is a one and a half millimeter LED, and uh, the problem with it is it's it's a 1080p display. So it's, it's a 20 inch 1080p display. Well, there you go. 20 inch. That that's really useful. In my house, on my desk. But it's 4K, right? But yeah. But it's, it's 4K. not 4K. It's 1080p. It, 1080p. But, but but Silicon Core. I, let me start by saying these are beautiful monitors. And and the the big thing about Silicon Core is they've been able to get incredibly good mullions, and they're very bright. So so you stack up a lot of them. So if you if you saw their 4K display. At Infocom, it was they were using a 12 by 12, and saying it's 4K, which meant actually each monitor was showing uh, 320 by 180, but on their 1080p. But Silicon Core also doesn't make the back-end processing that splits it across those walls. So from reading it, my guess was Crestron likes the fact that the uh, Pixels are very close together, and therefore it's certifiable for 4K. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, here's the thing. I, I did go through their, not just their booth, but a couple of things with, with Crestron. When it comes to 4K, and, and most of the stuff, the silicone core stuff aside, they do literally have, you know, big fancy schmancy machine that pushes 4K through, and, and they do a lot of work with, with these various displays. I just thought it was odd that this this comp this one company, Silicon Core, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't have any dealings with them other than, you know, looking at some of their products at Infocom, would put forth a 1080p that's now 4K certified. I just I didn't understand that. Maybe I need to get somebody. Um, my guess is two things. One, Crestron needed somebody to apply for certification. Yeah. And and two, there's some level of partnership because all of the big monitors in the press round booth at Infocom were sold in core. Even the the but, big the big mamma jamma. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And when we had our Crestron Dog and Pony show, and we talked a little bit about 4K and and you know what we should be doing for for 4K, and and I'm still kind of it's what truly is 4K because a lot of the products that are saying they're 4K are not truly 4K. Because they're falling in that that you know UHD TV stuff where it's really not that you know 4096 by was it 2160 or whatever they're calling it now these days. So it's we're we're at the early stages I think of 4K and adoption and content and well here's the thing and, and, and the, a couple of things I'll post a, a link up to. Uh, another podcast done by by Jason Griffin and, and Big Nate Snyder uh, that he had on Mar they had on Mark Coxon and and Josh Rago who both of them very smart gentlemen 
uh, who delved into, into 4K extensively. 4K is one of those weird things, right? I mean, this is not, this is kind of reminiscent to me, at least, of quote-unquote HD. 10, 15 years ago, when we started talking about quote-unquote HD, there was, what, three flavors, right? Some people will argue four. I don't want to get in the fourth one. There were three flavors. There was 720p, there was 1080i, and there was 1080p, right? And you could go into a customer's uh, in, in, you know, uh, meeting, right, into an integration meeting, and say, I'm going to give you HD. And the next guy will say, I'm going to give you HD. And the girl across the table, I'm going to give you HD. And all three of us can design a, tip, a, a separate system altogether, not even giving you the same resolution. Same thing's happening today, right? Yeah. Uh, whether you're using AMX or Crestron or Kramer or whoever, um, it depends on what the infrastructure can deliver. And I think that's kind of what they're getting at. This this silicon core thing aside, as long as you are able to, the infrastructure, and Paul, this goes back to you guys too, and I've yep. had conversations with Sean Robinson about this. As long as, as from the manufacturer standpoint, your switchers and your cabling and the endpoints can support up to the maximum of what 4K is, Guys like us and guys like like uh, like Adrian and and you know the guys and girls who who put this stuff in will be fine you know regardless of what yeah. the, the put you people the, the the clients want us to do as long as you it'll guys work. give it to us we're fine. Yeah, it'll work perfectly just like EDID, which solved love. Oh, oh, <laughs> you know we got through this once. Yeah, we did. We'll get through it again. Yeah, we'll get through this again, and you know everyone will have to buy a new TV, and then they'll say, "Guess what's coming up down the pipe?" Eight yeah. K, eight K three D. Shut yeah. What the that three D? I, I I personally would throw my vote behind twenty one sixty, um, um thirty eight forty by twenty one sixty, just because it makes the math easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the reason that. 4K was originally there before anybody thought about how we're going to scale a scale a monitor um, was because that's what the what the guys at Red could squeeze out of a digital camera. Yeah, and they wanted to get it wide enough, and you know, with editing aspect ratio, you know, extra pixels, you can move things around. It's great, but then when it moves into the manufacturing, they're saying, well, we're building a big 16 by 9 piece of glass, and we can cut it exactly into four and have 1080p monitors or 4K monitors, and everything's fine. So the manufacturing is going to definitely push towards towards the quad 1080p um, type arrangement, which is fine. But the, but the real issue is going to be Pro AV is going to very much suffer over this. Um, How because so? Once you push um, copper past 10 gigabits, you have a very hard time getting it any distance down to copper. So, so the interesting thing about HDMI 2 will be they'll come out with it, but nobody will tell you, and, and this is conjecture because mm-hmm. nobody's told me either, that you can get a six-foot cable because Sony, who really cares about this, thinks that a six-foot cable is all you really need. Okay, so, so here, here's, here's where I'll go with that, right? I agree with you. Totally. And, and I think it's a good thing. Here's why. Uh, I, I, I have been, been writing and, and screaming for the last two or three years about when on earth is the price of fiber going to come down. Fiber is a great infrastructure. Personal opinion. All this is, right? Mm-hmm. Not a manufacturer. have no, 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 uh, don't own stock in any manufacturer. Nothing like that. I think that fiber is a great infrastructure. But it's freaking expensive as all get out. And it's not difficult to terminate much anymore. It's it's not like you know twenty and thirty yeah. years ago where you had to polish the all the crap like that. Um, it, it's relatively simple um, to to terminate now. It's a great infrastructure. You can send gigabits down the the thing. You can send anything down it. Yeah, literally anything down it. But it's expensive as I'll get out. I think this seriously, Paul has a very good chance of driving oh. the cost down on fiber and making it more ubiquitous. I, I think so. Um, the AV world hasn't really driven the, the fiber. No. The IT world has. And the interesting thing that will happen in the IT world is if you look at HD base T and various implementations of HD base T like things over fiber, they look suspiciously like 10 gigabit Ethernet um, okay. on the physical layer. The, the, the voltages, the modulations, are, are the same. And for that matter, 
Um, on the SFP base, we're using the same SFPs for fiber, the small format pluggable, the little fiber transceivers, yeah. um, that are for the 10 gigabit Ethernet market. Because 10 gigabit Ethernet is becoming more commonplace, those prices are dropping. There are not enough fiber switches in the AV industry to ever bring down the price of those things, but Cisco decides to run a, a, a end of quarter special and suddenly the, the bottom drops out of the market because it becomes a commodity. Right. So, so AV can follow along that way. And, but 10 gigabit fiber is only going to get us through um, uh, 4K uh, P60. Okay. And, and then barely into 4K P60, depending on how to play with it. If they're really talking at 8-bit, if they're really talking about moving to 8K, um, we're going to have to push up into a 40 gig fiber, which is going to be a 40 gig Ethernet is out. Um, and you can run it on copper, but you can only run it about 8 feet. Um, so then, we, and then we hopefully we'll be able to follow that price drop. But the big question becomes how will how will that happen? Because the, the consumer won't matter. No. Because ultimately ultimately the way 4K is going to get delivered is via streaming and it's probably going to be asymmetrical streaming. So Netlinks doesn't care if they've got a two hour movie if it takes them twenty four hours of running it on their fastest computer to compress it down with H.265 because the playback's asymmetric and, and they can get it out and they can push it off. It's a very different um, world than you or I when somebody hands us the connector coming out of their laptop and we've got to, got to put it 100 yards down the field. Yeah. And we don't have several hours to get it there. <laughs> no, yeah, you we, have... don't, we don't have the encoding, you know, we, it needs to be real time. Yes. But, and, and you're not going to get a real time encoding. It, uh, and, and this is an argument I have a lot of times with people as we talk about some of the need for, for real time. If you look at the SVSI and the Mersive, and SVSI has done a very good job where um, they've got their uncompressed, which is screamingly fast. And then they've got their Motion JPEG, which is pretty damn fast. And then they've got their H.264. Um, and, and there's no way anybody is ever going to get um, any of the uh, MPEG formats to look good if I'm trying to wiggle a mouse and watch it on the screen. I'm going to go nuts. There's just too much latency built into any of the MPEG processes. To, to do that. And so it's going to be, are we going to be able to deal with latency? Or are we going to put big fat pipes? Or is it going to be somewhere in between? And I would argue somewhere in between. You know, ABB stakes their world on, a, uh, on it being there at exactly the right time, yeah. which is very important if I'm running delay towers in a stadium. I want them all synchronized really damn well because I'm going to have Phases bouncing around, but on the other hand, I work in enterprise AV. If if the audio from this room gets to that room over on the next building, 35 milliseconds later, who the hell's going to care? Exactly. Yeah. So so I think that you're going to start to see a balance. So you'll see my perfect world would have something where we can ingest and then have various levels of you know. Um, one of the things I would I look at in a big switcher um, and uh, you know just to, to pump things in our DGX line, my view is I run HDMI in the rack, I run HD base T in the room, and if it's leaving the room and going to a core, I run fiber because because I'm dealing with a cost hassle balance yeah. on on where things go. And, and the fiber is a little more expensive, but on the long run, and especially if you're if you're pushing 100 meters on HD base T, um, Cat 6E ain't cheap, and you can't ever find anybody to field terminate it right. Oh, you're not looking. 
You know, you're, you're not looking good. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll terminate Cat Six E all day. Cat not a problem. Shielded. I shielded, yes, shielded. all day. Not a problem. Right. Oh, before and, I do fight, that's fine. But I'm talking to consultants who are saying we're putting out our bid specs that that we're only allowing installed factory terminated certified cabling. So if if you're talking, which means you're pulling with an RJ45 on it. Um, which is not good. No. Which is not good. And and a factory certified cable. And now, if you as an AV integrator say, we're going to terminate, but the consultant says we have to certify, you're into a a nine to $10,000 ideal or fluke meter to certify it. Yep. Whereas if your fiber, if you want to certify it, you buy your $600 owl. If you just want to test it and not have it calibrated, you buy your $200 owl. And, and you're there. And, yeah. And, and, and Paul makes good points. I mean, one of the big things when we talk about fiber is traditionally fiber is, uh, at least in, in what I've seen in the last couple of years, it's, it's in uh, military uh, applications, government, certain government military, secure yeah. applications. And then when we have to go long distances, that's the only time fiber is really getting used and talked about um, in the sense of creating backbone infrastructure. Um, it depends on our clients whether or not they want it or not. And see, that's that's why I am excited about you know the fact that all yeah. these higher resolutions may very well push the need for fire. I, I I think it's going to because um, because the other grumbling I hear, especially in the video industry, is that the production people say that because. Of, of everything being so close together and you having so many pixels that eight bits of color separation isn't enough for 4k and they would like to go to 12 bits which is going to which is going to give you 50 percent more mm -hmm. bits to deal eight, with yeah to do <laughs> Had, had to do the math there in my head for real quick, yeah. Paul. You know, <laughs> yeah, but uh, that, and, and when we talk about broadcast, that, that brings a whole other level of complexity when you start dealing with fiber because it, broadcast comes in two flavors. You ha, you're either a mobile truck or you're a fixed house. And if you do fiber in a mobile environment and something breaks, well, you know, your truck's down for a little bit, you know, and you can't have that during the Super Bowl. Yeah. But you still want to have all of those pixels, all that beautiful picture. You want yeah. to have that 4K for that, you know, first, you know, handoff. But uh, it, it, as you said, Tim, this is going to be an interesting time. It will be. And here's the other thing with that. I think that, that it, it has the opportunity to, how, how do I put this, um, reinvigorate the over-the-air signal. And this is the reason I say that. Uh, a good friend of mine who is an old broadcast engineer, uh, he works for a, an audio company now, has has screamed for years, it doesn't matter what your TV is. It, it can be a 720p, it can be 1080 because you're not getting anything higher than 720p currently on your satellite box or your cable box, right? It doesn't matter. You're not getting 1080p because mm -hmm. they're compressing it so so much. Uh, right. And the fact that co uh, countries like South Korea and Japan have already broadcast 8K. I said 8K. Japan's broadcast 13K, well, 12K, and 18K yeah. over the air. Over the air. So that's why I'm saying it may very well reinvigorate the over-the-air you know, uh, infrastructure in this country and you know, swing the pendulum back the other way. To where you know we're not a primarily cable slash satellite country where we're, we're going and that over that, that brings into other things about how we're our tech our infrastructure is so badly taken care of and used. Oh yes, we will go overseas to Japan or even South Korea. They're streaming, you know, 1080p non-compressed, two tablets, two phones, yeah. um, blazing fast internet, and we have miles of dark fiber. Um, I remember many years ago that when in the residential market where it was new house construction where you were pre-wiring a house with you know your bundled coax and, and um, you know twisted pair and there were even places that were doing uh, two coax twisted pair and a fiber run in every single wall plate uh, and a lot of that stuff is all dark and not used because the mm -hmm. consumer just has no clue uh, how to make it useful in their home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's in the cities too. Um, we reaped the benefit for a long time of, of the thought that in the 90s everybody thought they would become a billionaire by laying fiber. And 
and then went bankrupt and all that fiber got sold off cheaply and uh, we caught a lot of boom for that but nobody's really put in those massive fiber plants no. since then and eventually it's going to fill up um, and you know one of the reasons that Northern Virginia does so well is uh, because MCI strung fiber everywhere in Northern Virginia and the cities got into it when Alexandria Virginia let their cable contract back in the mid 90s they forced the cable company to put dark fiber anywhere they were going to run uh, coax runs oh, wow. and, the cable, and the cable company fought and fought and fought and I'll bet you they're so glad that, <laughs> yeah. that uh, <laughs> they were forced to do that yeah, I mean, I've got an ODN box on the side of the house, and it's got, you know, two or three fibers coming into it, and I've got a couple coaxes and a couple twisted pairs that come right out into the house. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the infrastructure's there. It's just not utilized effectively anymore. No. All right. Uh, a couple more stories, guys, before I let you go. Uh, first of all, yeah, from we our... totally hijacked your uh, show. I'm sorry. That's, you, you, Paul, you're, you're, you're new here. so I'll, squirrel vision. I'll, I'll explain. That's the whole point of this show. The whole point is not me. The whole point is you guys. I just know smart people. I don't know. I'm not smart. I just... And, and, yeah, well, you're the smart what, person this What this did week. we call this early on when we started doing this? Squirrel? Yeah, squirrel. <laughs> that was you, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh... Three three years ago. So, yeah. Um, all right. From our buddy uh, over at, uh, at Commercial Integrator Magazine, uh, Tom LeBlanc. Uh, a case for showrooms making not wasting money. Now, here is the interesting premise of this article here. Um, and actually, another guy uh, in the in the residential side of of AV, uh, Tom or uh, Tom Siaka, John Siaka, uh, wrote a piece about having a showroom. And, and so, Paul, we'll we'll, sh- we'll kick it off with you. Because uh, all three of us here pretty much work in, and live in, in the pro world, right? right. Uh, yes, AMX has, has a residential side as well, but, but you guys primarily education and government and healthcare, and you guys are primarily pro. Adrian, that's your, you guys are not 90% government, but you're big-time government, and you live in that whole little you know, uh, Atlantic uh, region. Yeah. Uh, Info, uh, Infocom, uh, Innovad, who I work for, that's our bread and butter, you know, uh, education and, and, um, and corporate. So here's the question. What's the benefit, or is there a benefit, for pro-AV folks having a showroom? Uh, Mr. Paul, we'll start with you. Is there a benefit, not just from the manufacturer standpoint, but from, you know, let's say, you know, Avitexture. Is there a benefit of Avitexture having a showroom? Avitexture has some, some very nice conference rooms. Conference rooms, um, not not a show. I'm talking about but, a showroom. But, but the question is, where does that where does that change? Avitecture is in the business of building really nice conference rooms. Okay. So so and and I've been working for AMX for about ten months. Prior to that, I uh, I worked for Lockheed Martin, but in the high end pro AV integration. Um, business. So, um, you know, what did we build? What was our product? Classrooms, um, war rooms, presentation rooms, and conference rooms. And and so we had really nice conference rooms. Actually, in my office um, of the of the non-installer tech types, there were. There were five of us down, down one hall, and we had four conference rooms. Wow. Because, because two reasons. One, because they were our demo areas and our test areas, so, so we would keep one to make sure we always had it good, but we are doing it. Second, you know, I, when I don't have a tech out on a job, I prefer to keep them busy because otherwise they make hockey balls out of tape and break things back in the warehouse. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So, so you can do that. But to bring in a, a customer and be able to show things, um, it, it, it's valuable in the setting that the customer is going to like. It's very important, um, especially with a customer who is kind of feeling their way as to what they need, to be able to point it and say, I like it this, I don't like this. You know, eight different models of monitor on a wall you know, may not be that impressive, but 
you know, here we have an integrator conference room, and we've put in, you know, normally you wouldn't have four touch panels in a conference room, but we've got four in here because this is a showroom conference room mixed gotcha. use space. And 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 for the Pro AV, that's that's uh, I would I would call that a showroom. Okay, and that that's valid then, uh, Adrian. Um, Paul says you guys have very nice showrooms. So yeah, we've, uh, we've got good, it, good space. What's the value there? Um, well, one of the things is, uh, as when I first started doing getting when I first started integration, uh, the company I worked for Apex, which is now Sharp AV in Canada. Um, we did a, a total high-end showroom. You know, you had the dedicated theater and the VTC room and the conference room, so you could show that whole thing. And even now with integrators, it's valuable because if you, you should be bringing clients in as much as possible and bringing in vendors and showing how technology functions and how they interact with each other. And it's very hard to explain things like, say, a barcode click share to a customer without them physically touching and seeing it. And you always can't bring that to somebody. So if you can get a customer to sit down in an environment that is somewhat sterilized, but you know you need to show them how it works and get that, get that look and feel uh, and functionality. Because, it, because sometimes I've found that clients don't quite understand what they want. They have a pretty good idea but sometimes they can't explain exactly what they want. And if you give them the ability to kind of go, oh, yeah, this is what we're looking for, but we wanted to do this. Or we want a VTC environment, but we need it to work like this. But then on the flip side, you can also show them what is a best use for an environment. Uh, I've walked into tons of, of video conference rooms where it's the wrong table, it's the wrong paint, the wrong lighting, you know, uh, and, or the wrong acoustics. And then you have to sit there and work with that client and saying, hey, you've just great, built this great space. It's all wrong. Uh, they don't like that. No, and now, you have to, and now you have to spend all of that money trying to fix it where if you could say, this is what a typical VTC room should be like or, yeah. or what a telepresence room could feel like. And and if you look at a lot of the you know, major manufacturers, especially in um, – uh, major um, city hubs, you know, New York, uh, San Francisco, uh, DC Metro, uh, Philly, Boston, you name it, they have these little um, hubbub show spaces where they're showing their technology, but they're showing really how it's supposed to work in an environment. And I, I think it's valuable for a, a customer who may not see this on a day-to-day -day basis, how it should work and supposed to work. And it also gives us as integrators the ability to try new products to see what works and what doesn't instead of guinea picking clients. Um, I'm not a fan of saying, hey, look, it's the brand new Spangled Box. We're going to sell it to you. And then they wonder why they're angry at you when you're spending six weeks going, I don't know why it doesn't work. It worked at the trade show. Because, so, because you haven't updated the firmware, Adrian. <laughs> it's exactly. the firmware. Yeah, yeah, the firmware is the problem, right? But is it is it Tuesday already? Time to update firmware again? <laughs> Jeez, yes. Very Depending nice. on which manufacturer you are, yes. Yeah. So, and and if you noticed in the article, I mean, they talked about Steelcase, and I remember many years ago when Steelcase was getting involved with with um, the idea of having an AV integrator as part of their environment because their whole thought was collaboration and integration of technology and what better way is to bring AV integrators and partner with them or buy or start AV integrators outright. And um, it, it, it makes sense. Um, integrators, you know, you don't need to have the latest and greatest, but you need to show functionality and usability uh, to customers. And, and, you know, the other thing is, if you do it right, you can bring people in. You know, if you've got a good functioning VTC room, you know, rent it out. You know, it's not sitting. If it, if you're not using it, rent it out. You know, bring people in. Yeah. You know, and and you know, get get some revenue cash out of that out of that thing, and and then people go, hmm, maybe I should buy one of these. We like this. Or or yeah, maybe I, go ahead, Paul. Or I'm gonna say I would say that for an AV integrator a space they use slash showroom is a better investment and probably a better showroom than having a big hall with 
with mobile displays. And, and another re thing that doesn't um, probably get done enough in any industry is forcing EV integrators to actually be consumers of integration will hopefully make them be better integrators. Um, and, and I work for a manufacturer, and here comes my politically correct, but I don't know how many times as an integrator I would be out in the field and I would be cussing up and down swearing that whoever designed this has never screwed anything in a rack in their life. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the empathy that comes with being on the other side makes you better at your job. Yeah. So, so when you always do the panel that way, and your fourth meeting in a row, you realize, oh man, it's three pages deep to hang up the VTC. Suddenly, you stop doing that to your customer. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, you can, um, if you'd like, uh, that gentleman right there. His name is Paul. Uh, you can, well, you you can go. Um, learn from him i guess is the best way is what i'm trying to say uh here on a friday afternoon i apologize uh you can go and go to the infocom networking for the av industry program uh it's going on in texas uh next month uh, september 10th through the 12th uh if you're going to cedia uh, don't bother because well that's the same date as cedia so uh yeah don't don't do that um but if you're in the dc area next week is it paul uh, yep. You can go learn from him then. Uh, so where where are you going to be, and 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 what's the what's the deal with that? Um, next week I'm speaking at the opener of the AMX Roadshow. Um, go to amx.com because I only go to the the ones they tell me to go to. Um, but we're going the East Coast run starts in DC, Philadelphia, New York. Um, I'm only going to be appearing at DC on on this section. Um, uh, but because it's DC, and um, although I live in Texas now, I spent the previous almost 20 years doing AV integration in the DC area, so, so I'll at least be able to find people to buy me beer if I agreed to speak. Um, and uh, one of the big focuses that we're going to have, and we're talking about essentially the issue, which has been forefront in the government, but is becoming more and more prevalent in the, the private area, of, of AV integrations being hampered by IT and security policy. Yeah. And I hate to say it, but it's not really the fault of the IT and security people. It's the, the AV industry has, has not kept up with the pace of that, because historically, if somebody was building a room and it needed an Ethernet switch. They went to Walmart, they bought one, they slapped it in there, never touched into the IT world, and everything was fine. But as unified communications, cloud applications, remote management and monitoring come in, they, it's becoming impossible to build a modern conference room without interconnection to the network, and so we have to abide by those policies. And it's also coming at a time of a perfect storm because this year's the first time anybody ever fired a uh, major company CEO over security problems. And it didn't happen in their servers. It happened in an air conditioning box. Yeah. And uh, I keep awake at night, you know, dreaming 60 minutes sitting in my lobby when I come in because somebody came in through a touch panel. And I don't, and we don't want that to happen. Um, but so there's now combined with the fact that we're getting on this, we're behind the curve, there's a hyper awareness within the industry of all of these devices where you used to say, eh, it's an appliance, don't worry about it, we'll just stick it on the network. And and that's not flying anymore. No, no, it's not. Uh we've we've covered on this on this program a couple different times um the security issue and the fact that we have to keep up uh, otherwise, there will become a time, and it may not. They may not show up at your desk, but they may show up at the integrator's front door. Uh, Sixty minutes, that is. Yeah. You know, saying, "Hey, um, you let you you let somebody in through this device." You know, what do you have to say for yourself? And it's across the whole industry. Um, it's not just the the integrators doing pro 
poor practices, not changing passwords and not protecting, not setting expectations for the customers. It's also the manufacturers. We don't have, you know, in typical AV devices, uh, we don't have the level of security that an IT guy in a, you know, multi-thousand dollar AV device that an IT guy would expect to be in a $39 um, home router he goes and buys at Walmart. So, yeah, right. so if there's a complete disconnect in in the expectations and levels of capabilities between the two industries right now. Yeah, it's it's you, Paul makes some really good points. I mean, when when the whole Heartbleed uh, vulnerabilities came out, I think I can count on my hand how many emails I've got from manufacturers saying, um, "You don't have to worry about it," or "You need to patch your firmware." Oh, I, I, I hope you got the email from us because they <laughs> yes, ran us around from AMX and, and yeah, Marco they ran and, us around for two days doing code searches in in everywhere to find out if we had it in place, which we yeah. didn't. But but it was still everyone on our engineering team dropped whatever they were doing for two days to to address that. So so even though we weren't even though we weren't vulnerable. It's still God. Who knows? Probably cost us a hundred to two hundred man days of of effort just making sure we weren't vulnerable. Yeah, and that costs money. I mean, regardless yeah. of what your public oh, exactly. company. Yeah, that's that's why nothing's shipping until March. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and there you go. I'm on, so on, fired. Because I, I, mean, on, we, on, I gotta I gotta cut off Sean's internet this they, week. Uh, <laughs> that that's our scoop for the week. Nothing from AMX is shipping until March. <laughs> and if you're what you're listening to this, of that's a joke. That's a joke. Sean, get back on the road. That's for Sean Robinson. So, all right, guys, thank you so much, uh, Paul Zeal uh, from AMX. Obviously, uh, you can catch Paul at a couple different places uh, teaching. Uh, he taught at Infocom 2014 this past uh, this past uh, June. Uh, but where can people find you or find out more about AMX? Oh, if I'm willing to talk to you, you already know where to find me, but you can go to amx.com um, or call AMX and, and you might be able to get filtered up to me. Right. Um, just as, as far as the, the Infocom nouns goes, that is an Infocom uh, class that we happen to be teaching here. I was one of the developers of the class, and when I moved here, I saw I had a great big classroom of my own, so I offered to teach it. And September is the only one on the schedule right now, but we're doing it about once a month for the next year. Very and that's nice. a partnership between AMX and Infocom where we're giving them the space and the teachers and lunch and everything in order to, you know, it, it, in my mind, um, an AV integrator that understands IT is going to is lessen everybody's problems in the, the industry. So we... we feel it's very important that um, the, the level of knowledge and professionalism within the IT-facing world in the AV industry come up. So, so um, this has been an international um, effort where we're doing it in Dallas, but they're also doing it in Australia and Europe um, to work with Infocom to try to, to um, help the industry come up. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Adrian Boyd, as always, sir, uh, now that you got your, your internet up and running, thank you for, for joining us. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a really good show. And, and actually, I will probably see Paul in D.C. next week because I'm planning okay. on going to the roadshow. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, but Adrian is from Avitexture. And uh, where can people find out more about you or about uh, Avitexture? They can go to uh, Avitexture's website, which is uh, com. Um, they can see me on Twitter or LinkedIn and, you know, just look for the AV CAD guy or just look for me on Twitter and you'll find me. And, and uh, I haven't been as prolific on Twitter as I've been in the past, been busy, but uh, hopefully uh, I'll start getting some more stuff out. That's a horrible excuse, been busy. <laughs> hey, I've been busy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine getting a thought out 140 characters. I couldn't do it. <laughs> Yeah, that's the problem I run into. It's like, check this out. Oh, great! I'm at like. That's 400. what the that's what the shrinker thing is for. Just you know, write you know, a blog post and uh, shrink it, and and that's, yeah. that's that's what I do. My my, my format is the thirty page white paper. And oh jeez. My thumbs just die if I. Good night. I don't think I could think that much. 
So, all right. Uh, don't follow me. Go by the website if you would, please. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this very program and a host of others. There's a place on there to find to sign up for our our, our newsletter. Do that if you would, please. Uh, this that's actually uh, kind of for for people who do social media and people who don't do social media. It's just a way for us to keep you updated on what we're doing. Um, we're getting a handful of, of people who are writing blogs for us. Speaking of, of thirty pages, page white papers. Um, uh, Bradford Ben's written uh, uh, one. Uh, uh, Harry Mead, uh, Gina Sansfrivo. Um, so yeah, uh, John Green wrote a really, really great piece. So yeah, go by the website if you would please. This show, um, our uh, education-focused show, we're doing a new state of control, which is our, our control and automation show. Uh, and actually, we, we're going to have a gentleman on there from AMX this month. So uh, go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week. Oh, my God.